championship it. Last week, we started by talking about the shepherd and the promise of God in Jeremiah 3.15, which says, I will give you shepherds after God's own heart. And then we establish the fact that without shepherding, you cannot fulfill the great commission. Amen. So shepherding helps you to fulfill the great commission. So shepherding is very important. And we must make ourselves shepherds. It is one beautiful office that every Christian must enter into. We must desire to be shepherds. Hallelujah. And that's the office that brings all of us on one platform. God didn't say, I'll give you prophets after my own heart. He said, I'll give you shepherds. But if you're a prophet, you have to be a shepherd. If you're an apostle, you have to be a shepherd. Because God is dealing with shepherds. In the end, he's dealing with shepherds. Jesus called himself the good shepherd, not the good prophet. So fundamentally, all Christians are called into the office of shepherding. Because shepherding is where the work is. You see, the, the work of looking after God's flock is in shepherding. And that's the greatest work among all the works. Amen. So that's what we talked about last week. And I provoked and challenged you that there are many young people doing a lot of wild things. So shepherds must be raised in God's church. And we shouldn't be ashamed to raise shepherds who are very young. And by making yourself a shepherd, you are fulfilling the greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and also love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. You know, it's not easy to love, but a shepherd will make you love. <laughs> many, many people have not loved before because they've never entered the realm of shepherding. What the Bible talks about, like the description of love, it's not romance. Oh. Romance is one thing. Love is another thing. Bible starts by saying love is long-suffering. But when you met that lady that you loved, it wasn't long-suffering. It was attraction. No long-suffering. It's attraction. It's dates. It's night without, I can't sleep without seeing you. There's no suffering in it. Amen. Yeah. If that's all you've known as love, you have failed the biblical test for love. But when you become a, a shepherd in God's house, you, you really have no choice than to love. Yeah. Bible says love is long. Shepherds suffer for long. Yeah. It's only shepherds who suffer. Even in natural relationship, when you are suffering, you can you say, well, I don't want to do again. That's what happened. When the thing is entering the realm of love, the, the realm where now you have to be patient with the person. You have to suffer with the person. Most time, they withdraw. So that's where love should have started. So many people don't, don't know love. They come to church, they, they don't know love. But if you are recruited into the work of shepherding, <laughs> you will love. Amen. Amen. It's the assured way that will make you love. 
Some people are difficult to love. Yes, very difficult to love. But you see, because God commands it, you have to. I was telling PUT Davis that when we were on campus, there was a gentleman called Rasnini. Now, Rasnini, before he came to school, he had learned so many wild things, psychology, some things about the cosmic world. He's a younger, but his IQ was more than the lecturers. And because of his vast knowledge, he went into marijuana smoking and he, I mean, he didn't have guidance. So the guy was addicted to marijuana. And the guy will bath once every semester. Yes. Yes. That's when he's coming to school and when we are going home. That's the only time he will bath. Yeah. He used to sleep at the JCR. You know, the JCR and all of that. And this guy, when the lecturer comes in, KNUSC, lecture theater, when the lecturer comes in, he will light a cigarette. Yes, at the back of the lecture hall. I mean, the last seat, it's a lecture theater, so the last seat, he will light a cigarette, he will be smoking, the lecturer will be teaching. Very, very weird guy. Yeah. And nobody can say anything. Because when he picks an argument with you, you cannot win. Yeah, you, you cannot win. So everybody was running away from that guy. I mean, the Christian didn't want it to have anything to do with him. And then the regular guys felt that he's too abnormal. But I took it upon myself to close the gap with this gentleman. And the first thing I did was, and he was very rude. The guy was very rude. When the lecturer is lecturing and says something, he will raise his hand. He will embarrass. I mean, the guy is not someone you want to keep around you. And because he suffered rejection for a long time, he felt that nobody loved him. Everybody is not real. You know, there are people like that. Yeah, it's, it's purely because, you know, the, the world is so hostile. So sometimes it shapes you into believing things that are not true. There are many people that cannot receive love because they've not received love before. There are people that when you tell you are beautiful, they will, they, they will say, okay, thank God. Hallelujah. Yeah. They will, <laughs> they will never be able to say, thank you. You see, because they feel like you are lying. No, it's, it's not easy. Amen. Yeah. There are people when you tell them you are very intelligent, they will say, you are lying, you are lying. <laughs> you are lying, stop that. Let's talk about serious matters. No, that's very serious. Amen. Yeah. That's how life can really shape people into believing a lie. And this guy, I drew him closer because when you go with the approach of the gospel, he won't listen. But then most of the time, the guy was hungry. So, I mean, when I approached him, Charlie, have you eaten? No. Then he will ask, you get food? Oh, I get plenty of food. Charlie, let's go. That's the language he understands. You go to my room, I'll give him food. I'll change his clothes. You know, I'll leave my bed and allow him to, if the guy gets into your environment, like 100 meters, you begin to smell him. Yeah. Because he doesn't bath. Yeah. But my nicely laid bed, he used to sleep there. I had no place to sleep. I didn't know what I was going to get out of this guy, but 
I felt that what the guy lacked is love. The reason why he's hardened, he's behaving that way, nobody has really paid attention to loving him. That's all. It's not about trying to let him understand the Greek and the Latin and the Hebrew. <laughs> you know? You see, it's, it's sometimes the most powerful message is the message of love. Just love the person. Just love. He wasn't going to church for a long time, but I was still loving him. I will leave him on the bed at Charlie. I'm going to church. Charlie, all right, all right, all right. Charlie, but the food for your destiny, make a take. Oh, you can go ahead. Until one day, I mean, he was so overwhelmed with love that I told him, oh, Charlie, today let's go to church. He said, why not? I said, okay, if you go to church, I'll give you my white loafers. I'll give you my, my shirt. He said, oh. Then he dressed up and we went to church. And the guy became committed. Unfortunately, one vacation, he fell into bad company and he died. The guy died immediately after university or so. But the assurance I have in my heart is that Rasnini is in heaven because he received Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, shepherding makes you love by force. You see that now you are loving according to what God said. No interest. That interest-based love is not the love God is talking about. You are loving the person. You are following the person around. You are sending the person money because in the end, you want to marry the person. So that's not love. That's common interest. The person is cooking for you. You are also sending the person. There's no love. Hallelujah. It's a transaction. The person makes you happy. You also make the person happy. So when, they, when you see the call, you're excited. So I love this person. It's not true. Are you following what I'm saying? Bible says love starts with long suffering. The beginning of love you know, is what? Yeah. And the beginning of shepherding is long suffering. Amen. Anybody who has done shepherding work in this church, you, you start the Sunday morning with long suffering. With stories. I saw a video of Stella staring Bankupa Sunday morning. Yes. Long suffering. Staring Banku because. She went to pick a soul, and the mother of the soul said, no, 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 this girl is not going to church. She has responsibility. Yeah, so you just leave the person and you come back. If you do that, you have not shown love. Bible says love is long what? So in love, when, when it is love, there's suffering in it. So be careful. If there's no suffering in it, what you are doing is not love. Are you following me? Yeah. Telling novella is not love. There's no suffering in it. And then he said, okay, if that's the case, then I'll do the girl's responsibility so that she can hurry up. And, and you know, she took the banku and she, she stared the whole banku. Yeah. <laughs> Shepherding is serious business. And it makes you a lover. I mean, when I went to university, shepherding that turned me into this. Because I'm naturally, I'm very introverted. I like to keep in my own space. I don't like to meddle in other people. Naturally, that's me. I don't want to meddle in other people's business at all. What you are doing with your life is your own issue. Yes. What you are doing with your life, how does it concern me? 
Do you get it? Naturally, that's why. But that selfishness, yeah. It's when I went into the ministry, I took the path of shepherding. That made me start visit. visitation, follow up, calling people. Why are you doing this? It's, you are practicing love because there's no benefit at the end of the day, only a reward from God. Yeah. So, the advocacy for us to get into shepherding is an advocacy for us to practice the word of God. Practice love. The true love. Amen. Yeah. It's true love. It's love that's making beauty Clement go to a cropon. Going to Manfi. Going to Safro. Yeah, Safro. So this is where we start measuring love. You know, when he gets to heaven, that's what God... See, this guy had a lot of love. Because he went places where he didn't have any personal interest. That's love. And it's shepherding that has brought him into that realm. Amen. Yeah. So, how do we become a champion shepherd? First of all, we must define who a champion is. I discovered this thing and it really opened my eyes to how we are supposed to see the gospel now. Are you here with me? Now, the Cambridge Dictionary defines a champion. Now, pay attention to this. A champion as a person who enthusiastically supports, defends, or fights for another person belief right or principle that's who a champion is a champion is one who enthusiastically supports defends or fights for another person can I have a microphone around so by this definition let us know some of the champions that you know in this life that's what the dictionary says. A person who enthusiastically supports, defends, or fights for another person, his belief, right, or principle. Who is picturing a champion right now? That's what the dictionary defines as a champion. Can you give me a scenario of a champion per this definition? Okay, Pastor Jesse is here. A person who enthusiastically supports, defends, or fight for another person. What comes to your mind? This champion. Thank you very much, Apostle. One group of people that quickly came in mind was the Boko Haram and the, the Al Shabaab people. Okay. They are defending the cause of Islamists Islam. and yeah. their extremism. Mm. You see, they will go to the extent of dying. Mm. They don't care slaughtering people, mm. killing people being killed. They are defending it with everything with them. Yeah. So that's one group that yeah. came in mind. So by Cambridge Dictionary definition, they are what? They are champions. They are champions. Yeah. Which other people are champions? I mean, many people are champions per this definition. Okay. Beauty, Louise. Thank you, Daddy. So, um, I think my parents, or our parents, okay. because especially our mothers oh. from conception up to delivery and from childhood to where we are now. I think 
they've really fought for us and they are, they are yeah, cha- parents are champions <laughs> but you see we've never thought about it that way real champions parents, real champions who else thank Supporting. you very, yeah. thank you very much for the opportunity um, please another champion that I know is Jesus Christ mm. um, he came to die for us to defend the faith mm. to ensure that we are growing in the Lord nurturing us according to the ways of God so that's one champion I know when we come to the world another champion let's put our hands together that's a very good example um, another champion I would like to add is um, Martin Luther mm. um, he was of the view of the um, black lives matter the black revolution to ensure that the rights of the black people have been established and they have been accorded the, um, the necessary respect and everything so Thank you very wow. much. Champions fight. So Martin Luther fought for equality between whites and blacks. Okay. Can we cut the keyboard? Thank you very much. So who else is a champion? What comes to mind? Anyone that is fighting or supporting? All right. Nanabia. Thank you so much, Apostle. Um, the first person that came to mind was Lady Reverend Lois. Okay. Yeah, I think she's a really great champion because she's supporting what you believe mm. and she's making sure everything that you believe comes to pass by fighting in so many ways, not physically fighting, but fighting <laughs> to make sure that these, like, by waking people up to pray, making sure people put up their reports and all those things, that is a fight. Hey, <laughs> that's champion, Mama Lou. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's a real champion. You see, now the word is not becoming too ambiguous. Do you see? Because sometimes we don't go into the dictionary. We let the world show us the champions, but the dictionary helps us to identify our own champions. Stella, I saw your hand. Thank you, Daddy, for the opportunity. Please, uh, my man of God, that is you. There are a lot of battles you are fighting for us in our blind side. That makes you a champion in our lives. Thank you, Daddy. Wow. So now you see, there are real champions among us. Fighting for another person. There are also champions, uh, some champions, they are champions, but their championship is interesting. Like one day, I heard that two guys were fighting over one girl. Two, two guys are fighting over what? Yeah. Not in this church or somewhere else. <laughs> but in this church, it has happened before. <laughs> Amen. No, the moment someone is fighting for another, the person is a champion. Yeah. Yeah. Champion. <laughs> so this championship here is, is very serious. You know. And the one, no, so actually, the one who wins is the one that, the one that becomes a real champion. Yeah. Becomes a real champion. Yeah. So when we fight for things we believe in, fight in principles we believe in, fight for it, then Cambridge Dictionary says we are champions. Amen. That's why you see, 
we have like human rights activists. We say they are championing the cause of the human rights. We have those who believe, they believe that men are supposed to be left to marry men. You see, and then we call them, they are championing the cause of gayism and lesbianism. So the word champion is not just for Azuma Nelson. And, yeah, it's for people who are fighting. And it makes every soul winner a champion. Yeah, every soul winner is a champion. And Jesus Christ is the champion of our salvation. He came down, conquered every force of darkness, fought everything that resisted him, went to the cross, died, resurrected again, and saved humanity. Yeah. That's a real champion of our salvation. The second definition of a champion is that a champion is a person. Write it down. A person who has defeated all opponents in a competition or series of competitions so as to hold the first place. A person or even a group who have defeated all opponents in a competition or series of competitions so as to hold the first place. So the second definition is saying that the champion must be the one that wins in the fight. But the first definition, the Cambridge Dictionary is saying that the moment you are fighting for a cause, you are a champion. And that's what I explained, championing the cause of something. You may not have won it, you see, like freedom champions. They may not have had that freedom. The big says they were champions before Ghana had independence. And then the second definition says, when you win, that's when you are a champion. Now, this is dictionary definition. And so what we learn from that is that a champion, therefore, is someone who fights. If you are a champion, you must be a fighter. A champion is someone who fights or competes to win. So the fighting must lead to winning. If you go to school, you write exam, you pass all your exam. On the graduation day, the perfect word for you is champion. Yeah, champion. You've won because it was a competition. But when we look through scripture, give me First Samuel 17, 23. There was one person who was referred to as a champion. All right, let us read together. Ready, go. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. So one of the few people that were described as champions in the Bible was who? Goliath. He was called champion. In fact, the king Saul said that this guy has been fighting from his youth. And one characteristic of champions is fighting. 
Amen. Yeah. So Goliath was referred to as what? A champion. But many Christians have not seen themselves as champions. And many shepherds have not seen themselves as champions. And that's what the Holy Spirit was bringing to my mind. That when we talk about real champions, we are talking about champions in the kingdom of God. God has champions. And we need to begin to see it that way. Now, let's go and look for God's champions. 1 Corinthians 9.24. 1 Corinthians 9.24. Let's go and look at God's champions. Now, Paul is the one that opened our eyes to the phenomenon of being a champion as a worker in the ministry of God. 1 Corinthians 9.24. He says, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, Paul and Jesus Christ, they employed a certain teaching method. Their teaching method was that they used physical things to explain divine things. Jesus did that a lot. He's talking about the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom. And he says the kingdom of God is like a pearl. The kingdom of God is like a treasure. The kingdom of God is like a land. You see, because in that teaching style allows the people he's teaching to understand. Because that's what they are conversant with. Paul also employed that teaching method. It's a teaching method. So Paul is talking about the work of the ministry. He's talking about the work of God. He's talking about shepherding. And then he starts by saying, give me the scripture again. He said, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run. The first thing you must take note of is the race. Paul is saying the ministry work is a what? It's a race. Because Paul was not a runner. But then, in talking about the ministry work, he described it as a race. So it means that if you are in the ministry work, you are a shepherd, you should see yourself in a race. Praise the Lord Jesus. Whatever you are doing in the house of God, you should see it as a race. And when you see it as a race, you must it, you quickly remember that speed is required. Agency is required. Training is required. So he said, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? What comes to your mind? Champion. Because the second definition of champion is that one who competes, defeats the opponent, and wins the prize. And Paul is saying that only one gets the prize. He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. So he's saying that the work of God, you should approach it as a champion. Because champions have one mentality, the prize. And this mindset will empower you to do the work of God in a different way. 
Praise the Lord. If you don't approach the work of God as a champion would approach championship, you do it anyhow. That's why Paul is bringing perspective. That this work, how they see it in heaven, they see it in heaven as a race. So you must now begin to see it as a race. And like I said, in a race, there's the need for speed. Number two, there's the need for agency. Number three, there's the need for training. Say we are in a race. Now, 2 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. He gives us more clarity. Now, he turns the whole conversation to himself. This is Paul. Paul was a shepherd. He was actively involved in the ministry work. Church planting, visitation, follow up. That was his main work. Visiting the church in Corinth, visiting the church in Ephesus. That's, that's his main work. He was a churchman. Now, look at how he's describing his work. He said, I have fought the good fight. He didn't say, I have preached the good message. But much of what he was doing was what? Preaching. But then as he's describing preaching, a divine work, he's describing it as a fight. That's a, the champion mentality. If you don't see soul winning as a fight, you think soul winning is like, um, oh, it's a friendship thing. Oh, oh, why don't we go to church? Oh, I don't feel like, okay, okay, next week. Champions don't have next week. Champions have their eyes fixed on the prize. There, there's no turning back. I watched a video of a person in a truck. And he took off. When he took off, it was a 100 meter race or so. When he took off, he was doing well in the lead. And then he had a muscle pull. And then everybody bypassed him. So they finished the race and he was on the floor. Then he saw his father running towards him. Then he got up, put his hands around his father, and he began to limp. He denied the medics from carrying him off the racing track. He wanted to cross the finish line before they treat the muscle pull. Why? That's how champions are oriented. Until a champion crosses the finish line, they are not backing down. So Paul is telling us that in the work of God, we need a championship mentality. And that's the only way we can become successful in the work. Christians need a championship mentality. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Now, he's describing the work of God first as a fight, second as what? A race. Hallelujah. He said, I've kept the faith. That is obvious. Because the work of God is about faith. Go to the next verse. He said, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. You see? 
the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me, not to us. Not to what? Us. Do you know that in a race, sometimes two countries can be represented in one race, but the one who wins has won for himself. Like sometimes when they are doing a 100-meter dash, Usain Bolt is here, there's another Jamaican. But when Usain Bolt wins, they don't say we have won. They say Usain Bolt is the fastest man on earth. Yeah. But you see, the other one will go and put his hands around and they will do the flag and, oh, Jamaica has won. It's not Jamaica who has won. It's Usain Bolt who has won. They never say that Jamaica is the fastest runner in the world. They say Usain Bolt, he has a name. So we may be in one church... But not all of us are winning. The race is individual. I have fought a good fight. I don't know about you. But me, I am fighting. It's personal. Tell your neighbor it's personal. Yeah. It's personal. Give me the verse again. He said... There is a crown. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, would award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So as many people as would fight and win, there is a crown. What, is, what picture is he painting? Now, when you are reading the Bible, you have to understand context and setting. He's not speaking out of the blue. Remember, I said that Paul teaches with a certain teaching method. He uses his environment to explain divine reality. So what was happening in his setting, his environment, at the time he was writing this to Timothy, that's what he's drawing the reference from. As I was talking in the beginning, I talked about Ghana's economy. I talked about Uncle uh, Uforiata. I talked about... Um, <laughs> you know, I talked about the present. You see, I'm using what is happening around to explain a divine reality. In the time that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, something was going on. So he was writing with, by taking a certain inference from an activity that was going on. That's why he used the word fight. He used the word race. So what was going on? In the Greek um, environment, there was a town called Isthmus. All right? Isthmus. Now, Isthmus is a town that is very close to Corinth. And in Isthmus... Every two years, there's what we call, we, what we call now as the Olympics, right? There was a version like that in Isthmus. And every two years, what happens is that the people come together and then there is wrestling, there is boxing, there is javelin throwing, and then there is running, and then... The winner, oh, you didn't open it. You removed the rubber, but you didn't open it. Okay, put it, put it at the back. Yeah. Thank you. Put your hands together for him. 
This is how it's spelled. Isthmus. I know someone has written East. He's, the person is very too known. Too, very too known. I know someone has written. He will not wait for the teacher. He's, he's written this. Please cancel it. Okay? Cancel it. Those who were patient, they've seen the right thing. So this is Isthmus in near a place called Corinth. Are you following me? So, the Eastmus people had what we call the Eastmian games. Do you see it? Eastmian games was happening in Eastmus. And Paul, the setting was that this was the most powerful activity that was going on in that environment at the time. I mean, when the Eastwood Games is up, nothing is gets the attention of the people than this. Everybody goes to the stadium to watch people running, people fighting and all of that. And then the winner is given a crown. Show me the crown. The crown is not, you know, these days they give a trophy. In those days there was no trophy. But in those days there was what? Crown. This crown is made of the olive tree. So the winner gets this. That's why you see when you look at the Olympics symbol, it is this in, in many rings. It is a crown that has been put. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. That's how they got the Olympics. The Olympics was also going on at that same time. I mean, the Olympics came from the Greek people in a place called Olympia. That's another city. And that was happening every four years, but the Eastmian Games was happening every two years. And the main activity of the Eastmian Games was the race and the wrestling. People would gather to see two men fighting. And then the winner, they would put this plant on their head. And, you know, that's the champion. So, as the people were more engaged in the Olympics more engaged in the Isthmian games and this kind of sporting activity. Paul was, was trying to figure out how he can communicate the work of the ministry to these people. Because the only thing they, they want to do is what? Isthmian games. It was at that time that he wrote this scripture. I have fought a good fight. And he was talking about ministry. Because the people will catch it better. He said, I've finished the race. As the Eastmians do, I have also finished the race. So he's inferring that the whole Christian walk is a fight. You have to see it as a fight. Every soul winner is a fighter. Every soul winner is a runner. Hallelujah. If you're a shepherd, you are what? You're a fighter. And then he says, now, verses 8, give me verse 8. Look at it. It says, verses 8, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Because in the Isthmian games, a crown of olive tree was given to them. But he's saying, in my kind of fight, and in my kind of race, 
I'm going to receive. There is a, you know, champions have something that motivates them. That's why I'm saying you can do the work of God and not have a championship mentality. You do it because you love your pastor. Do you see? Or you do it because it's, it's a culture. Like in this church, it's a culture. You, you have to try and win a soul. Do you see? And you begin to feel bad if you are not winning souls. But you see, that's not doing it with the championship mentality. Paul made us understand that soul winning is fighting. It's not soul winning actually. The real name for soul winning is fighting. Like how Mike Tyson Evander Holyfield will be in the ring and box to one bite somebody's ear. It's, it's a real fight. Hallelujah. And when you approach it with the fighter's mentality and with a crowning view, you will not stop at anything. Praise the Lord Jesus. You will not stop at anything. So shepherds are fighters. Shepherds are what? And shepherds are what? Runners. Hallelujah. Now, this makes us understand that soul winning is a competition. Because he puts the description of soul winning into an Olympic setting. And so soul winning is what? A competition. Shepherding is a competition. The work we are doing is a competition. Amen. It's, we are not just having fun. The heavens see us as people who are competing and there's a prize for each and every one of us. There's a prize. And we must lift our head through revelation and knowledge to understand that when we get to heaven, people would see their crowns. It will not be given to them. Because they didn't even have it in view. And so they approached the work of God in a very passive way. But there's a crown for us. Hallelujah. Now, who are we competing against? Our work, we are not competing against each other. The soul winners are not competing against each other. When we say best PUT, it is not like this one is better than this one. No, 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 no. Our competition is not against each other. It's a competition, but not against each other. Praise the Lord Jesus. Yeah. We are competing against the devil. Our opponent is one. His name is Satan. And you see, a champion always knows that for that champion to retain championship, they need an opponent. An opponent is important in championship. If you don't defeat anybody, you cannot be called a champion. And our opponents are not ourselves. Shepherd against shepherd, PUT against PUT, pastor against pastor. No, 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 no. We are not opponent to ourselves. But we have one opponent. His name is Satan. Hallelujah. We compete against Satan. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12. This is where Paul explained who we are competing against. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities. He used the word wrestling. But you can be in church and you've never wrestled. He's still using an Olympic setting to inform you that what you are doing is a wrestle. That's why when you go out to invite somebody to church, they give you all kinds of stories. But a champion will say, I can't hear what you are saying. Praise the Lord Jesus. I watched um, a video online and this evangelist met this guy and said, oh, let's go to church. And the guy said, no, no, no. I'm busy. I'm going somewhere. And he said, oh, please, let me. The guy said, oh, talk. He said, let's go to church. He was smiling. He said, no, oh, I'm going somewhere next time. So okay. I need to preach to you. He said, oh, I'm busy next time. The guy turned like this. He put his hand in his bag. He took a gun. He said, turn and look at me. <laughs> the guy turned. He raised his hands up. He said, has he, <laughs> has he gone to that? He said, yes. Do you know how many years I've been praying, preparing, reading the Bible? I get here, you are telling me, come down, kneel down. Yeah. Kneel down. Will you receive Jesus as your Lord? And I will show you in the Bible, how is it that Paul recommends those things? You see, we, we must understand that this is a championship. It's not a round table discussion. It's not a coffee break. It's a champion. It's a fight. Paul was one of the greatest apostles and he described the work as a fight. You are describing the work as a, as a round table discussion. You need to have a fighter's mentality to be a champion shepherd. Praise the Lord Jesus. Are you following at all? Because you see, by the definition of champion, it means that every Christian is a champion. Because we are, def we are fighting for the faith. Anytime you go to church, you are establishing what Christ came to fight for. So, you are a champion. And so, we have to live the champion life. And we must not just become champions for a moment. We must be champions to the attainment of the crown. Fighting. And during the Isthmian Games, one of the significant things that was so clear about the champion is the spilling of blood. Anybody that was taking that crown had bruises on their body. So it became obvious that every champion, what made them a champion is the blood. The shedding of blood. Every champion had blood. It's either blood is here, blood is here, blood is here. If you've watched a very heated boxing match before, sometimes the one they are raising their hand as a, a winner, you see his face. You wonder, if he is the winner, then you want to see the loser. <laughs> so there's no champion without the shedding of blood. Hallelujah. There's no champion without what? That's why Jesus is the, actual, is the real champion of our salvation. He went to the point of dying. Hallelujah. He went to the point of what? Dying. He fought till he died. Say, I'm a champion. Say, I'm a champion. So when you go out there and there are challenges and all of that, you shouldn't complain because champions are trained for problems. That, that's their mindset. They go to overcome the problems so they can attain the crown. 
So we fight against the devil. And what is the objective of this competition? You realize that the Olympics, for example, the objective of the Olympics is world peace. The reason why they organize the Olympics and all of that is that they believe that if Japan plays with North Korea and all of that, they won't fight again. That, that's their mindset. If they even have a problem, like the Olympics, if Russia and Ukraine, they play a football match, all of a sudden they will say, oh, it's okay, it's okay. That's the objective. Now, in the same vein, the objective, so those champions, their objective is to compete for world peace. We are also in a competition, winning souls, shepherding people, raising people for heaven. But our objective is not world peace. Our objective is the pleasure of the master. To please Jesus. That's why we are competing. And when the soul is won, we have actually triumphed. Praise the Lord Jesus. We have triumphed. That's why the book of Daniel talks about um, who we are in the heavens. Bible says they that turn many to righteous as they are stars. Shout, I'm a champion. So our objective is to please the Lord. Jude chapter 1 verse 23. Jude chapter 1 verse 23. Look at the words that Jude is using concerning soul winning or the work of the ministry. He says what? Rescue others by snatching them. Hmm. Snatching them from the flames of judgment. So, by the time you know, you are talking to somebody. Let's go to church. Receive Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. You think you are just helping somebody. The biblical term that is instruction given to us is to snatch. And snatch requires force. Hallelujah. It requires what? Force. Champions exert force and energy. And the work of God is not diplomacy. He, say, he didn't say, um, you know, persuade them. He said, rescue them by snatching them. Have you snatched someone before? Yeah. Snatch them. That's how champions think. So by the time you go to the field, somebody says, I need to go here. I need, by the time they finish, you have snatched him. And you can snatch people by knowing what to say. Saying the right words. By the time they, you have snatched them into church. Hallelujah. Yeah, snatch the people into church. I was snatched into church. I was snatched. I didn't, I didn't want to go to church. They snatched me to church. Because sometimes, the time you are using to stay at home to think whether it's real or it's not, you will never know the truth. When you come here, the Holy Spirit will teach you the truth. Yeah, yeah the Holy Spirit will. I, I was one of the greatest unbelievers in my time. Because for me... You know, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I mean, 
I never saw my parents go to church. I never saw them Sunday. Sunday is not a day we go to church. Sunday is a day that they sit, we sit home and eat the choicest meals. And when I was growing up, anytime a preacher came on the TV, my father would change the channel and install the preacher. He sowed that seed into me. So sometimes your, your unique orientation is giving you a certain perspective. So I grew up not having any church experience. I remember when I went to live with Nanabi Adams. I, I'm telling you that. When I went to live with them, Saturday night, I went to Desperados. At, I was in SS. I went to club Saturday night. And I came Sunday morning and she came to open the... Yeah. <laughs> Partner in crime. Came to open the, the gates for me. I arrived around 4 a.m. Came to open... So, the and but she was going to church. So, the time that she was going to church, I was sleeping. The thought of church is not something. No, no, it's not my, it's not my life. So, you can't even tell me, let's go to church. No, I won't go. Because I wasn't raised up like that. Sometimes, it, it doesn't help because it's not, it's not in you. Please take your seat. Do you get it? So, someone like me, you don't sit down and say, did Jesus come and die? Did Jesus, you know, when you do that, you make matters. You snatch me, snatch me. Have an agenda to snatch people. Are you here with me at all? Yeah. Snatch the people, snatch them because they don't know that they are lost. Snatch them, pull them, drive them, compel them, don't leave them. God said to Ezekiel, He said, if they perish, I'll demand their blood from your hands. A champion does not talk too much. A champion acts because there's a crown to win. Yeah, there's a crown. Now, when they snatch me into church, look at what I've become. When I went to church those days, I used to, when, I mean, when I go to church, I used to have these Louis Vuitton jeans cut all over the place, my Timberland boots. I sit down. When the pastor is preaching, I'm thinking about some wild underground rappers. I'm thinking about the lyrics. You know, I'm not hearing anything. And I'm trying to find fault with everything they are doing in the church. Yeah. If I move my body, they will think I'm not, I'm not hard. You see? So I don't sing their songs. I'm in church, all right. What I'm trying to say is that, is the snatching that people like me, you have to snatch me. You don't have to leave me. Are you here with me? Yeah. It took me six months. You know, mommy will call me. Saturday night, will you go to church? Oh, yes. Have you ironed your clothes? I've, yeah. Sunday morning, I'll look at the clothes. I say, no, 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 this is not my life. Then I was six months. She called me Saturday night, every single Saturday night for six months. Before one day, out of that pressure, I just said, let me go to church. When I went, I had a mindset that well, if I go, these people, yeah, these people, they don't know anything. Church people, I, I felt church people are too, they are too gentle, they are too quiet, they are not, they are not wild. Yeah, they are not wild. They are too, you know, when I went there and I saw a group of young people worshiping God, praising God, I broke down. I said, what have I been doing with all my life all these years? 
I felt that these people are becoming relevant. They are doing something great that have been cut off. That was the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So I know you meet people out there who talk and say, well, in the year AD something, something, Jesus was not really sufficient. So people have, it's okay. Just snatch them and bring them to church. I'm telling you, you are seeing one that was an unbeliever and now is a champion in the kingdom. Yeah. Champion. Champion. Hallelujah. Yeah. So snatch them. Do what? If you're going to be a champion shepherd, you must not be the type that is, you know, you approach people, they say, oh, I have an appointment next week. You say, oh, okay, okay, then next week. No. You see, there's no next week for you. And there's no next week for that person. You have to insist. Rather go and do that appointment next week. It's a fight. Amen. Amen. You know, one day PUT, um, Clement was telling me that he went to take a soul from a particular home. And the woman said no. And he said yes. Somebody's daughter, right? Or granddaughter. The kids in the house. And she's like watching over them. Yeah. She said, no. He said, yes. He said, they are my people. I don't want to take them to church. Said, I want to take them to church. So one day, you took them to church and she came into the church at Abokobi and came to display. Spoil the whole church. Then you said, you also pay her back. Then, then he went to pick the other child and then he, she took a stone Fire the stone. Did he hit you? He hit the car. Yeah. Simple church. Oh, look at what is happening. Yeah. Simple church. That's why Paul said that it's a fight. If you have not experienced that fight, it doesn't mean it's not a fight. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. Once you're a champion, you see, champions, if you're a champion, the fight is what makes you a champion. So if you're a champion, the fight is not coming. You are not feeling okay. Yeah. Champions like the fight. Amen. Yeah. CEOs like the boardroom. Right? The office, the crossing of legs, the AC. But champions, they like fights. And he pedals stones at you because you are not giving up. Someone didn't give up on me. Did she win or she didn't win? She won. But it took a fight. And sometimes when I think about all the trouble I was giving Christians, I ask, why was I doing this? What, what at all? Why? I don't understand. Many people don't understand. Please take your seat. Many people don't understand why they are in the situation they are. It takes your resilience. It takes a champion mentality. Hallelujah. It takes a champion mentality. Now, there is an audience that is watching us in this championship. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. There's an audience. We are not the audience. When you come to church, you are not an audience. Christians are not supposed to be spectators. Everybody must get actively involved. You know, church is not supposed to have audience 
and participants. You see, church, everybody is supposed to be a participant because there's a heavenly audience, just like in the Olympic. So Paul said, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, surrounded, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. It's a race. Hallelujah. Let us run. Don't give up. Run. Continue running. When you are running, there's fatigue. Like when you are coming to church, sometimes you are tired. Yeah, but you, you, it's a race. Have you seen anyone running so in the middle? So then he would turn. That, that's very un, an unserious person. 100 meters, you run. I, you say, no, no, no. And you are going back to starting line. Oh. <laughs> you know, the way Paul is describing our walk with the Lord is giving us better perspective. It's a race. And a race, you only go forward. You don't, there's no race where you go forward small and you come back small. No. It's, it's, there's no pause. There's no reverse. It's only forward. So now that you are in the race, if there's a thought in your mind that pause or stop or is the devil, yeah, it's your opponent. It's the opponent who wants you to do what? Stop. Bible says that anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom, not the work. Hey, that's serious. Though. Do you know there are people who take up the work of God and they stop the work of God? Yeah. Bible says the kingdom has, de- has rejected you. It's serious. We don't do the work of God and stop the work of God. We don't. I know there are people, pastors who say, I won't do the work of God again. No. Bible says you are not fit for the kingdom. Not the work of The kingdom of God. You are not qualified to be counted as those who are part of the kingdom. If you put your hand to the plow, if you start the work, the plow represents the work in the kingdom. And then you say, I won't do again. Bible says you are not fit for the kingdom, not the work. So once it's a race, it's forward ever. It's what? And the Bible says that there is a cloud of witnesses. Show me that picture of the cloud with those racing. It's so beautiful. So, you know, there are some people in the church, they give fans. Best PUT, then they will go and post it on their status. <laughs> Bible said there's already a cloud of witnesses, and you are not part. <laughs> Amen. Amen. SFTK. There are people who will not go, but they will give funds to those who are going. Look at it. This is how the whole thing is looking like. Can you see it on the screen? Yeah. We are, all of us as Christians, we are on the track. The cloud of witnesses is the audience in the stadium. In the cloud of witnesses, we have angels. We have Apostle Paul. We have Apostle Peter. We have James. The Bible said they are cheering us on. That's my boy. That's my girl. Yeah. That's my boy. There's no other championship. You know, when they are playing the football, maybe boxing at Olympics, there's no cloud of witnesses. There's a physical audience. Our Olympics, we have our own Olympics. It is so winning. It's shepherding. It's church planting. It's the work of the ministry. That's our Olympics. And we have been put spiritually, we have been put in a big stadium. And Paul is saying, hey, this one is like me. 
Jesus, can you see this one? Look at the way he's breaking down the word. That, that's like me. James is like, this one too is like me. Yeah. Maybe Judas is also in hell saying, <laughs> that particular one, he's showing signs like me. He will come here right now. <laughs> yeah. Cloud of witnesses. It's not like, that's why I'm saying that. There's no secret. You may be in your room thinking you are doing something. No, there's a cloud of witnesses that have been assigned to us. Focus on the race. Don't, don't be a fan. You are not a fan. Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants disciples. He wants participants. Hallelujah. So everybody in the race must become a champion. I don't want to become an ordinary Christian. I want to do something great for God. Once they've put me in a track, am I running? He says, everybody runs, but one attains the prize. So why would I run if I won't attain the prize? I will be coming to church. I won't attain the prize. Once there's a prize involved, everything that I need to do, I will do it. So I want to get involved. And when I joined church, they said they need people in the music ministry. I was there. They need people in the prayer ministry. I was there. They need people in security. I was there. People in usher. I was there. I was everywhere. Every rehearsal, I was there. I want to attain a prize. So I was during the rehearsal, the music ministry. They would say, move to auto. I moved to auto. They would raise their song. Say, move to tenor. I'll move to tenor. They would raise their song again. Ah. So I felt I'm too good at they are promoting me. <laughs> They said, baritone, I moved there. Then the music director called me. During the rehearsal, called me to the back, put his hand around. Randy, you know what? Focus on the prayer ministry. <laughs> Amen. Focus on the prayer ministry. I was everywhere. At a point in my church, I was the one-man prayer team. It was a ministry, a department. Nobody wanted to join. I was the only one. I go for prayer meeting alone. Till I, till I left that church, I was the only prayer ministry member till I finished, left that church. I didn't even get one person to come so I'm encouraged so I can share some revelation and then we will pray. <laughs> no one. <laughs> I'm fighting the good fight. I remember I called all night. I encouraged, it was a youth church. I encouraged all the young people, let's, let's do all night. I'm going to lead. I prepared mine. My revelations. <laughs> and I spoke to the pastor. I said, well, use my office. Went to the pastor's office. I was waiting for brother this, brother that, sister this. I was there. 10 p.m. Nobody's there. 11, nobody. Hey. 12, nobody. Then I started car partial. No need for revelation. Are you going to give revelation to Jesus? <laughs> But I persisted. For one year, I did all night. A few people joined me. But, you see, you must have a champion mentality. I'm not giving up. Yeah, I'm not giving up. When the heat become tough, that's when I become tougher. I'm not giving up. There's a crown involved. I don't want to get to heaven and they give me a ribbon or something. I want a crown. <laughs> so this thing is not a joke, are you here with me? I know that I did exploit for God. When I was in KNUSC, I was a student like all other students, but I ran to attain. 
I was an exceptional student. In my time, the gospel prevailed. Oh, yes. I preach in pubs. As a student, I'm so proud that, you know, many people went to school. They just did drink up and things and they finished school. I ran the, I fought a good fight. One time I went to a pub. They were jamming, bam, boom, bam, bam. And I went to the DJ and gave him money. I said, off the song. And he off the song. Everybody watched to the counter. And I said, I came to preach. The, I'm a student like all of you. You are drinking your lives away. You are smoking your lives away. Jesus is coming. So Jesus loves you. Yeah. It's a fight. By the time I finished, some of them dropped cigarettes, some of them dropped bottle, lifted their hands. I led them to Jesus Christ. Yes. I was still a student. It's a fight. Hallelujah. It's a fight. And I have all these in my account in heaven. It's a fight. It's a good fight. You know, Paul calls it a good fight. Because this fight is not like the one, the boxers who sustain a lot of injuries and they will get money and they will, 50 years, they will be treating brain cancer and all those things. No, no, no. This is a good fight. This is a good fight. No matter what I go through, I'm going to fight. Until I see the crown, I'm not stopping. I'm fighting this fight. Hallelujah. Yeah, I'm fighting this fight. Prayer is a fight. Fasting is a fight. Reading the Bible, haven't you noticed that when you open the Bible, then you are beginning to doze? Yeah. You doze. If a storybook, you are awake, but try the Bible, particularly the book of Obadiah. <laughs> you will sleep right now. If you try and go to Nahum, you, you, you cannot understand anything. Amen. Put your legs in water and open the Bible. It's a you must win this fight. Hallelujah. You must win the fight. Say, I'll win the fight. C.S. Lewis said this. If you are continually dead and you fail to act, the time will come when you will be unable to act. He said, if you are continually dead, and you fail to act, a time will come. You want to act, you can't act. There's a grace period for everything we are doing here. When God is calling you, and you say, wait, I'm coming. He's calling you, say, wait, I'm coming. He's calling you, wait, I'm coming. A time will come. You want to do the work of God. He will say, wait, I'm coming. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I'm coming. Yeah. But if you hear the word of God, don't harden your heart. Yeah. Some people don't feel like doing the work of God again, because they postponed it too much. And the time, that grace is lifted. I'm telling you. They have interest in so many things, but not the work of God. You don't have interest in prayer again. Prayer becomes so difficult. Because you kept pushing it away. When we're inviting you to prayer, so it's not time. It's not time. Until you are not able to pray again. But champions fight. Hallelujah. Now, as I bring this to a close... I have about seven characteristics of champions. I'm going to give you one and then close the meeting. The first thing that you need as a champion. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. The first thing you need as a champion. Championship it. 
What is the characteristic of a championship? What does championship do? Now, before I give you that, our strength as shepherds is in our ability to retain the sheep. Write that down. Our strength as shepherds is in the ability to retain the sheep. John chapter 6 verse 39. John chapter 6 verse 39. It says, and this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those who, has, who he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Wow. So a real champion shepherd will not lose. You know, there's something about the sheep. The sheep is such that they like getting missing. But our strength as shepherds, if you are a leader in church, you are a Christian, you, are, you, know, you must not lose. When God gives you a friend, you must not lose that friend. That's, that's what shows that you are a good shepherd. 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 37. David also exemplified this. Bible says, 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 37. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear come, came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. David was a fighter. Killed it, yes. Amen. So there's killing in championship. Amen. The opponent is Satan. He must die. So that you will win. And that's the case he made to Saul before Saul said, go and face Goliath. The case he made is that I'm a good shepherd. So let me go and beat someone who is tormenting the whole nation. Wow. He used his shepherding CV to go and fight a military operation. Because you see, Saul understood that the moment you are a good shepherd, you are a military person. <laughs> if you can do the shepherding work well, keep sheep, follow up on sheep, that whole work gives you a certain deep intelligence about human beings. They allowed him. So by being a shepherd, you are gaining a wisdom. You are gaining a divine wisdom. Hallelujah. The first characteristic of a champion shepherd is that the champion shepherd has the discipline of prayer. The champion shepherd has the discipline of prayer. Hallelujah. The discipline of prayer. Every champion must have the discipline of what? Prayer. It's, it's one thing about champions. I, I believe that every champion understands this principle. Whether football champion, wrestling champion. I mean, foot, during football matches, they pray before they... It's the first thing. His father was a coach. One of Ghana's best coaches. Uh, coach Herbert Adol. That's his father. He coached Kotoko, coached House of Oak, coached, yeah, coached Ghana Black Stars. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah real coach. Yeah. Real coach. And I, I, I didn't want to be a player like by this time. Because they were coming home, don't bother and all those. They were coming home. Yeah, 
Anyway, come here. And I used to brag, my uncle is a coach. Yeah. Every champion pray. Please sit down. Even the boxers, they pray. Restless, they pray. God helps so they don't beat me. Yeah. Every champion pray. So a champion must have the discipline. If you are a champion, even if you want to be an academic champion, I've seen most of the people who went to school with who were top, like first class people. I'm not saying I was not part, but like, yeah, everything there's level. Amen. Yeah. There's level. Before the exam starts, though they are shackled, they will bow their head. Yeah, prayer is yeah. it's a mark of champions. Those who are too known and they don't know anything, they will not pray. When they put the exam paper, they will be looking around, they will look here. They won't pray. Because they don't have a champion mentality. They are looking at proximity. Who can I copy from quickly? Yeah. 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 But champions are people who do what? Pray. Look at it consistently. Every champion you know, there's prayer in their life. Every fellow you know, no prayer in their life. Yeah. So the first sign of a champion is what? Prayer. Yeah. The discipline of prayer. Are you learning something? So if you, we want to distinguish, there are shepherds here, but the champion shepherds are the people who are really praying. And let me tell you one reason why we need to pray, and then I'll close it. One reason why we need to pray. Number one. You need to pray for the opening of the blind minds of unbelievers and some believers to see the light of the glorious gospel. Write it down. You need to pray. I'm giving you, I mean, I'm training you to be champion shepherd, so... Once I've said that a champion shepherd must pray, I must give you why you should pray and what you should pray. Every champion shepherd should pray that the people they are interacting with, their souls, their blinded minds, you see, will be opened to see the light of the glorious gospel. That's the first prayer point of a champion shepherd. We have church planters here. We have pastors. We have zonal pastors. Let me tell you what. Any person who wants to go and preach the gospel, who wants to go and do the ministry work, and does not understand this thing, will never succeed. It's not about preaching. It's about praying. You pray that there are blinded minds will be what? Opened. Yeah. I'm going to show you something. Can I show you something? Are you sure you want to be shown something? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 6. This, this is, you see, this is the champion shepherd mentality. You must understand what is going on in the spirit. All right. P-U-T-D-L, come. Please bring me the thing. Look at this scripture. Look at what Paul is saying. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, 
It is veiled to those who are perishing. He's communicating something. Now bring me this. Stretch it, open it. What is a veil? A veil is a covering. The Bible is saying our gospel, the gospel in our mouth, the gospel we are preaching is not free. That gospel is not free. What he's saying is that there is an impediment to the gospel spiritually. Every gospel that you want to preach to an unbeliever, it is veiled. It's like when you are going to marry, you see that the bride is veiled. So you cannot see the bride unless the pastor say, open the veil before you can see. So you see that when the veil is open, suddenly the groom's face lightens up because there can be communication when the veil is removed. The Bible is saying that our gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. Have you thought about it? That sometimes you can meet an unbeliever and say, Charlie, hell is real. And they will laugh. <laughs> hell, crowd, there's Bob Marley, there's Michael Jackson. I, I want to go there. Have you, have you heard it before? Yeah. It doesn't move there. It's like, oh, now hell, hell, crowd, they adore so crowd. Hey. <laughs> you see, you have said hell. He heard hell. But he's not catching the revelation. That revelation of hell is veiled. So it's not about what you are saying. It's about you understanding that champions remove the veil before their word will be heard, the way it should be heard. You tell somebody, don't fornicate. So this thing, we'll pray for grace. The, the issue is that you have said the truth, but it's veiled. He doesn't catch, he doesn't understand the implication of it. So when you have a congregation like that, when you have souls like that, and you keep preaching, preaching, you see that what you are saying, they are not doing it. You are saying something, but they are not doing it. If you're a pastor or a shepherd, you get frustrated. You think that the people are rebellious. But you see, the Bible is telling us that the message you are preaching is is hitting something and coming back. People who sit in church, you preach to them, and then they don't agree with you. It's not that they didn't hear. They don't agree with you. There are all kinds of arguments within them. Why? The Bible said the gospel is veiled. Fold it. Fold it. Tie it around his head. Yeah. yeah. Show me the scripture again. You see, what do you pray as a champion shepherd? You don't just go out mobilization, mobilization, mobilizing people. People are souls. Bible says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So a perishing person, can you see me? Are you sure? Don't lie in God's house. You can see. You see. That's it. The unbeliever is like this in the realm of the spirit. It's like this. His ears are blocked, his eyes are blocked. And then you go, <laughs> oh, Jesus loves you. He didn't hear it. He heard it as grammar. But he didn't hear it as spirit. Because there's a veil to prevent him from. You know why? Satan has veiled all his people from the gospel. Anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ belongs to Satan. It's a bona fide property of Satan. Satan has put a wall. He doesn't want them to hear the gospel. Because the gospel is what will change them. So once Satan has you, he locks you. He locks your mind and locks your eyes. You can't, you can't, you can't receive it. That's how he protects his people. 
So you don't just approach people as I'm preaching and I will preach, I will fire them. He has been veiled. There's a password. He's locked. And that's why sometimes people can come to church, you preach, and there's no change of heart. There's no change of mind. Can leave church and go to the club. Leave church, go to the party. Leave church. Why? There's a veil. So if you're a champion shepherd, you focus on removing the veil rather than trying to force words into the mind of someone who cannot hear. hear. Let's go on. Let's go on. He said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Not the eyes, so their minds. They are blind in their minds. When you say Jesus loves you, they, they don't hear it. Their mind is blind. You want to save such people, you need to remove their blindness. Look at it. He said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. That displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They cannot see the light of the gospel. He didn't say they cannot hear the words of the gospel. But let me explain this. He said the veil is on their mind. Okay? And yet he says, when you preach, they can't see the light of the gospel. The veil is not on their eyes, it's on their mind. But he says, when you preach, they cannot see. What sight is he talking about? Have you ever experienced this, that someone is talking to you, and then you say, ah, I see. But he spoke words. Have you experienced it before? Yeah. So what are you seeing? Are you seeing the words? No. What you are saying, you say, I see. But what you are saying is, I understand. Ah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I see, okay. That means before he didn't understand. That's the point. Where the person must say, ah. You see, that point is when the veil is removed from their mind. But until that, you bring them to church, you say heaven and hell, you say everything, their life will not change. Because you are not paying attention to the fact that before preaching, you must remove the veil. Before you kiss the bride, you must remove the veil. You can't kiss the bride through the veil. It's not done like that. So some people, when we are praying, like when we have shepherds meeting, 12, you see that they will sleep. They will sleep throughout the thing. And then they will wake up. I'm going to plant church. You see, what you are doing is very dangerous. You are disturbing all of us. Do you understand? What, you are planting something, but it's not a church. You are planting rebels. You are planting disobedient people. You are planting all kinds of things. And I'm just giving you one year. You see, there will be a problem. There's a way to plant. Their minds are blinded. So a strategic church planter, a strategic soul winner, does not play with prayer. By the time you get to somebody, you see, the gospel is in us. Sometimes you don't have to be quoting the scripture. When you get there and say, do you know that Jesus loves you? You say, ah, okay, it's true, it's true. You see, you have removed the veil before you said that. It has entered. Yes. Yes. 
you know, sometimes I get the feedback. So when I'm going, they are running away from me. When I'm going, I run. You see, because they, their minds have been Why would they not run away from you? Hallelujah. Okay, try and locate me. I have what he needs, but his mind is blinded. Bernard, try and locate me. Try and locate me. You see, this is how unbelievers are. That's how they are. All unbelievers are like this. Unbelievers are just going in every direction. There's a party here. They are going there. this year. You see, because their mind is veiled. They can't see. You see, they can't see the gospel. And you see, that's why they fall so easily. Unbelievers fall so easily. They fall to alcoholism. They fall to drunkenness. They fall to pornography. They fall to masturbation. They fall to everything. Because their mind is veiled. There's no light. So such a person, you see, I'm talking, but he's still not able to see me. Such a person doesn't need talking. He needs prayer. He needs prayer. He doesn't need talking. Talking doesn't help. You know, I know many people are excited about the, the preaching. Like when you are giving, they want to quickly go and preach. <laughs> they want to quickly go and preach. But a champion shepherd understands this thing. Are you following me? Can you see people like this in the churches that you are pastoring? Yeah? Or on the campus that you find yourself in? Yeah, plenty. Their mind is veiled. And they don't see. Bible says they can't see the light of the glorious gospel. Some people think it's not necessary. There are people who think that the work of the ministry is not necessary. Hey, it's serious. Oh. Something that Peter died for. So what was Peter seeing that you are not seeing? Peter died, was crucified. He said, turn me upside down. And you, you, are, you are 21st century person. So it's not, this thing is not. That's why I'm telling you that the devil is really working. He's our opponent. Hallelujah. He's our opponent. And many people are being swept away. You go to our secondary schools, many people, they've been blinded. I pray that you will not be blinded. Yeah. Because before, I didn't see the essence of going to church. Before. I didn't see the essence of listening to the message. But I saw the essence in listening to sticky fingers, listening to all these underground rappers cursing God. I, I, I enjoyed it. You see, that's what tells you that this thing is a spiritual battle. So if you can't spend time in prayer, you can't do the work of God. The devil will be laughing at you. He has blinded them. Look at Paul. He fought the gospel. Paul, he fought the gospel. He was killing those who were preaching the gospel. Accusing them. Until the Bible said he encountered light. And the light shone. The, the veil what was removed. Because you see, the church was praying for Paul. He was their greatest persecutor. So they started praying. When you start praying, the veil goes. And the people begin to see things clearly. So it's not about bringing the people to church. It's about praying for them first. Many pastors have become frustrated. People are not coming to church. People are not aligning. And you feel like, oh, I'm not called. You are called, but you are supposed to remove the veil. Yeah. Don't abandon the work. Remove the veil. So now remove the veil. Jesus loves you. Yeah. It's true. He sees, it's so clear. 
It's so clear. No argument. Hallelujah. So that's the first thing, the discipline of prayer. And praying that the blindness. So when you are praying, oh God, let the blindness be removed. Let the blindness be removed. Let the blind, every person I'm going to talk to, every blindness on their mind, let it be removed. Give me back the scripture. Let it be removed. Let it be removed. In the name of Jesus, you mentioned your name. The God of this age who has blinded my friends, I bind him in the name of Jesus. I pray that let the blindness be removed from the, from the mind of my uncle. When I meet him again and I preach the gospel, may that blindness be removed. May he see it. I prayed for my father four years. My father said, there's no God. I told my father, daddy, because those times I was a leader in church, I, my eyes are open. I'm, I said, daddy, God will forgive you your sins when you confess. He laughed. He said, it's not possible. God can never forgive anybody. Yeah. He said, it's not possible. He said, me, I will continue to sin because God is just lying to us. Yeah. He, he wants us to stop sinning. Then last minute he will come and that's what my father said. Last minute he will come and judge us again. So me, I know him. I will sin and then he will judge me. <laughs> so you can see that. No, no, no. It's spiritual blindness. It's not. That's why some people don't argue with them. Please. Shepherds, please. You have not been called to argue. You have been called to win souls. Do you understand? Yeah, it's not, it's not an argument. You talk to the person and say, no, 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 no. It's okay, it's okay. But then put the person on your prayer list. Every 12 mention, ah, it's so powerful. Pray the blindness should go. Don't be angry, it's prayer. When a pastor or a shepherd stop praying, the church start going down. Then he will start thinking that oh, it's not working. You have it's a spiritual thing. It's a fight. When you stop fighting, uh, you know, it is said that cowards die many times before they are dead. This church, when I stop praying, it will vanish. The church will remain 10 people. Not that God doesn't want us to do the church. The person leading the church has stopped praying. Since we came here, I've been praying every day. There are pastors who have been sleeping at night. You can't, you can't have people. You came. Do you know why you came here? It's not because you like to come here on Friday. We have interceded for you. Sweat on the altar. That's why you must. If you love that, your friend, please make them a prayer point. I prayed for my father four years. One day, my father walked to my room. I was in the university. He walked to my room and said, I can see you are fasting and you are praying. Because anytime I leave money there, you don't spend it. And he said, if I'm the reason why you are fasting and praying, you will fast till Jesus come. Because, my father said, because me, I will never change. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand it. But it doesn't discourage me because I'm a champion. You see, I must win this battle. Yeah, I must win this battle. I prayed and prayed. My father, he said, this is how he said, I will never attend a church I'm older than. Principle number one. <laughs> Number two, there's no God. Number three, because his father was a fetish priest. Oh, his father, he's never been to church all his life. So such a person, how do you preach the gospel to them? They, he believes in voodoo power. That's why he saw growing up, they, he, he grew up in, with the idols. You are telling him about Jesus? His father, my father's father, could jump. He stands at one place. He's from this town. They will tell you. He will jump and he will be on the roof. Yeah. No, that guy was so powerful. Yeah. My father's father, when they are cooking, like 
they cook uh, goat in a pot. It will be boiling. Then he will put his hand in it and remove the goat and be chewing it. Yeah. Oh, if, if we close, you can go and knock. Pastor said this, that. Is it true? Yeah. He was too wild. Too wild. But another spirit was using him. And my father grew up believing in that spirit. And me that I'm a student, what power? At that time, powerless student. What am I going to show you? So when he says he doesn't believe, he has a point. But that point is a point of view of the devil. It needs to be cleared through prayer. I prayed consistently for years, fasted consistently for it. You see, you, 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 you don't know the value of a soul until, until you have labored to see that one soul turn to Jesus Christ. It was after many years that I came here. I was talking to him. Then he began to cry. I've never seen him cry before. That was the first time. Very stubborn, very hard. God forgive me for calling my father stubborn. Yeah, yeah, very hard though. And he's the, you know, he's the masculine orientation type. He doesn't believe in women. Like me, when I'm talking to my big sisters, I'm the only male. I have two big sisters. When I'm talking to you, you say that I am becoming weaker. I need to be a man. I, I need to isolate myself. When I talk to women, I will become weak. That's how strong the man was. He doesn't believe anything. That's when I know the power of prayer. The prayer of a small boy can change the unbelief of an old man. Yeah. But the words of a small boy may not change anybody. If you can be committed to prayer, things will change. Hallelujah. Some of you, God has given the responsibility to pray. Some of you must pray for your pastors. Some of you must pray for your fathers. I'm telling you. Pray that they don't move away. There are implications. If I stop the work of God, there are implications on my children. I'm telling you. I abandon the work of God. I have removed their covering. I'm telling you. But it takes prayer for someone to continue pursuing the work when things are difficult. Am I communicating to you at all? Yeah. So pray. Love prayer. Because without prayer, that veil cannot be removed. 